from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Faith is simultaneously simple. The Bible says thou shalt not kill. And profoundly complex. Knowing when you're going to die, the anxiety that must come with that. Even so, many people, both those who believe and those who do not, hold to certain absolutes that manifest in thick lines between good and bad, right and wrong, Yet faith is anything but easy. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth would leave us blind and toothless. We are not machines. We think and feel. We assess and do. We decide. We try. We fail. And we have to figure out how to live, even among others whose beliefs don't align with our own. And when it comes to the death penalty, Even people whose work centers upon spiritual guidance face deep struggle. As if uh, scripture and faith and uh, and religion uh, cannot and should not evolve. One person who knows that struggle is Reverend Daryl Gray. In the latter half of 2022, he served as spiritual guide for the late Missouri death row inmate Kevin Johnson, who was executed in December. He joins us today to share about his experience and personal insights into capital punishment's effects. Reverend Gray, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Now, Kevin Johnson, as we've just noted, was a death row inmate who, after pleas for clemency, was executed last month for murdering a police officer. How did you meet Kevin, Reverend? Well, as your previous uh, guest said, I do some work with the Missourians for the alternative uh, to the death penalty. Uh, and one of the co-directors, Michelle Smith, uh, contacted me and said that Kevin had either seen me on television or read about my work and asked if I might be interested in becoming his spiritual advisor. And I said, well, let me meet with him, uh, have a conversation with him, and then we'll decide if that's something that that we both want to do and had an opportunity to visit with Kevin at the prison and we hit it off and uh, and I made a commitment then that I would kind of walk that that last journey with him. Mm-hmm. And you did have some reservations. You said you wanted to meet with him first, right? Yeah, well, I'm, I've been involved in prison ministry for almost four decades. I serve as the uh, national co-chair for the prison ministry program for the Progressive National Baptist Convention. And I've been a member of the clergy for 40 years. Uh, And I'm not naive. I do understand that there are people who, uh, particularly incarcerated, who who find faith. uh, And they find it uh, for convenience more than conviction. And so I wanted to make sure that this was not one of those situations where you had to uh, a death row inmate who might think that finding faith uh, might help with clemency or something like that, and I did not want to be part of that. I, I told Kevin when I met him, I said, I don't do drive-bys and I don't do drive-throughs. And uh, what convinced me really was the fact that Kevin struggled with his faith, and he talked about that. And at the end of an hour-and-a-half conversation, I was convinced that this was something that he really wanted to do. In December, Aaron Heffernan wrote a a moving St. Louis Post-Dispatch profile of you 
and your experiences advising Kevin, why did you decide that you wanted to share your story? Uh, you know, just like like Amber, Kevin, you know, others who are on death row, um, we've got to make sure that people understand that these are these are people. They're not just they're not just inmates. Uh, they're they're human beings, and and human life is sacred. Uh, and it was important for me to to let people know that Kevin, in spite of his crime, w- was still a person. And 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 for me, particularly as as a faith leader, I believe in second chances. I believe in redemption. I believe in salvation. And a nineteen year old a nineteen year old boy committing a crime and almost twenty some years later being executed. I also wanted people to see that we were talking about two different people. And so I, I thought that it was important for people to understand that no matter where we start, what matters is where we end. And I wanted people to know about Kevin's ending. Now there was before the end, this in-between sort of period, and in mid-December, mm-hmm. we spoke with formerly incarcerated trans activist Jessica Hicklin mm-hmm. about Amber McLaughlin, the transgender woman executed by the state of Missouri just yesterday evening. Right. Jessica, who met Amber in prison while serving a life sentence for a murder she committed at age 16 and served as a guide and mentor to inmates who transitioned in prison, described Amber's smiling and experiencing joy and hope in prison as a death row inmate. Every time I would sit down with Amber or many of the other trans folks um, and have those conversations and help them start that process towards their truth, it was like meeting a whole new person for the first time. Now there was these people with joy and people with hope in the world and people who realize that you can live in the world as your true self and it's a beautiful thing to do. That was Jessica Hicklin on our program last month speaking to joy and hope she saw in Amber McLaughlin, even in prison, before Amber's eventual execution just yesterday. Reverend, when did you see joy in Kevin? It was after his baptism. Uh, That was a remarkable experience. I've baptized hundreds of people in my in my career, and that baptism was the most impactful to to see the joy on Kevin's face even when he walked in. And once once again, Kevin struggled with his faith. He he, he mentioned you know based upon his his upbringing, his mother his mother's addiction, his father's criminal past, uh, you know being passed around uh, you know from family to family, and, and you know seeing his brother die. And so Kevin, you know, would ask that question, you know, Reverend Gray, where's God for me? And so for Kevin, when he walked into the, the room where he was going to be baptized and to see the smile, it was a it was a little boy's smile, like I'm walking, this is my Christmas present. And then to baptize Kevin, and, and I, I joked with him, I said, I kept you down there a little bit longer. And, <laughs> and when he came up, when he came up, the, 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 his face... And you know, I know people. You know, it, I'm a believer. There, there was, there was a radiance 
uh, on Kevin's face, you know, when he came up out of that water, and it was almost as if he was relieved. And 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 he and I the conversations, and we talk right after that, and. And and I think that it was the relief. I think that Kevin was at peace, and 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 just, re, you know, going through everything that he went through, and believing that there is a connection, that I am connected with with God, that I am connected with something greater and bigger than me, that is just so welcoming. And I think that that was so important for Kevin to know that, in spite of what he did that he could still be welcomed by God. And I think that that, that was that moment. And Kevin and I talked about dignity. Uh, and, you know, you can they can take your life, Kevin, but don't don't give them your dignity. And I would suspect that that Amber was the same way in, in realizing that that all of us die, knowing when you're going to die, the anxiety the, the, the that must come with that, but knowing that death is for us believers not the end and i think that that that's where kevin that's the place that kevin got to when he when he realized within himself that this is not the end of my life and when, one of the things he said to me before he died he said i'm going to see my brother i'm going to see bam bam and so that acknowledgement confirmed to me when he said that that he had reconciled that he had reconciled his life uh, and that he was convinced uh, that death was not going to be the end. And that grief over losing his brother was directly related to uh, the killing that he that he did um, and that he never denied. And he didn't. And And the other thing that people don't understand, not only did Kevin grieve the fact that he killed... Uh, Sergeant McAtee, and he he did he he apologized. He was remorseful. He was 19 years old. He saw his brother die, and felt that the police could have helped, uh, and the trauma that's associated with that. But Kevin never used that as an excuse. But I think that what a lot of people don't understand the the biggest grief that Kevin carried was the grief that he may have been responsible for his brother's death. That if it had not been for the warrant, if it had not been for the fact that they were there to execute a warrant against Kevin, then his brother Bam Bam may not have died. And that was the other grief that Kevin carried with him as well. And and you know, the the you know, Kevin felt that the second chance was real, that that reconciliation and redemption was was real. And and that's the purpose of the spiritual advisor, not to to tell people what to think or say or feel, but to to help them to to see it within themselves, to just kind of shepherd them through whatever's in them. And that's the one thing I told Kevin. I said, I didn't give you anything. Everything you have that got you to this moment, you already had it in you. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what dignity is. Yeah. We're talking with Reverend Daryl Gray. Gray was spiritual advisor to the late death row inmate Kevin Johnson, whom the state of Missouri executed in November 2022. He is senior pastor at Greater Fairfax Missionary Baptist Church in St. Louis. Hope and what that can be 
you said that hope is something that Kevin did not have. Why? You know, the, we, we, we fail to, to factor in the, not the excuses, but the reasons that, that people do say, think, feel. And, you know, as I indicated, uh, Kevin's mother, uh, drug addict, former drug addict, but during during that period where he needed that nurturing, that mother, she wasn't there. Uh, Kevin's father uh, incarcerated during that that same time. Uh, his aunt helped to raise him. Others, uh, but at nineteen, Kevin felt oftentimes he was out there by himself, and not only. And then when when there's an absence of family. For a lot of us, that's that connection with God. God God is family. God is love. And Kevin felt that absence. And the first meeting that Kevin and I had, he talked about the fact that his faith was fractured, that based upon his upbringing, uh, the lack of love and, and care and compassion and nurturing, Kevin didn't see God in his upbringing. You know, we have a tendency to see God through love. And so Kevin said, my faith is fractured. And I, I said to Kevin, okay, I've got something to work with because a fractured faith is better than no faith at all. Mm-hmm. There's something to begin with. There's then. something. And that's where he was. And you have to also think about it. Kevin had been in jail for a while. And so when you're in jail, a lot of other uh, faith communities, people kind of pull and tug, the Muslim community or, or, or different communities, they pull and tug. So you're searching. And Kevin was in that period of searching, and he said to me that what kind of settled him were the women in his life, the mm-hmm. current, his daughter, Corey, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Stanfield, his former principal, and, and they, they kind of brought him back uh, you know, around spirituality and, and Christianity and, and that grounding around faith. And he said to me, the women in my life have gotten me to this place. And I guess my job was to kind of, okay, now take over from here to some, to some extent. And for the most part, listening. Kevin had a lot of questions. He wanted to know about certain passages of Scripture. He wanted to know about Genesis. He wanted to know about the 23rd Psalm, the, the whole idea of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He wanted to know about Jesus and, and the, the thief on the cross. And, and, and that was those particular passages of Scripture were important to him. So for me, it was just to help him to, to understand, uh, to do some in, interpretation of that and to, to have it reflect on where he was and what he was thinking and what he needed to get him uh, through arguably, you know, I would say, one of the worst, you know, parts of points of his life. As someone who does faith for a living and lives by faith, clergy and other faith leaders are, above all, human, mm-hmm. right? And all humans have biases, especially around race, gender, and sexuality, right? And in your experience, how? Do those biases manifest in conversations with spiritual leaders that are specific to the death penalty? Because Kevin was not merely incarcerated. Mm-hmm. He was on death row. Right. You know, I, I, I'm a, a progressive Baptist. I'm a Dr. King Baptist. And, and, and I try to 
I try to to do diligence to to whatever I'm involved in, and so I I did my own research too around uh, different denominations, faith leaders, uh, uh, faith organizations who were uh, in favor of the death penalty, and those who have stood up and stood out against the the death penalty and the abolition of the death penalty. And I found within my own denomination, uh, particularly Southern Baptists, that Southern Baptists. a large majority are very pro-death penalty, are very pro an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and uh, and it's more re- it's retribution, it's vengeance. It's, but and so for me as you know one who is a learned clergy, you know I'm working on my master's degree in theology and religious studies, and so I'm not what we call in my community a jack leg preacher. I consider myself a learned, scholarly theologian. And so I push back against those who would uh, utilize Old Testament scripture uh, for the modern world as if, as if uh, scripture and faith and, uh, and religion uh, cannot and should not evolve in our understanding of it. We're not living 3,000 years ago. And I submit to my Southern Baptist brothers and sisters that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth would leave us blind and toothless. And, and it, all it does is perpetuate violence, and that's not what our sacred text teaches. And I got a call from a friend of mine. I thought he was a friend anyway, clergy, uh, when they found that I was supporting Amber. And they asked the question, well, why are you supporting Amber? Why are you supporting this trans person? That was the word they used. Mm-hmm. And I said, we're all God's children, and we're all created in the image and the likeness of God. And if I support the abolition of the death penalty, it cannot just be for black people. When, if, when I say that we need to abolish the death penalty, it is for all people, be they trans, be they black, be they white, male, female, rich, poor, young and old. It doesn't matter because I don't believe that we have a right to kill. The Bible says thou shall not kill. And that right is not given to us. Reverend Daryl Gray was spiritual advisor to the late death row inmate Kevin Johnson, whom the state of Missouri executed in November of 2022. Reverend Gray, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski. Audio engineering by Alex Hoyer. Podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.